I preach in a lot of places. I always have a uh, podium for my Bible and notes and all of that. I've never, ever had a table for my water. So there's always something new, right? Well, it's good to be with you. I like this five o'clock in the afternoon stuff. Uh, I had a great uh, morning with God, great time to pray and walk in my park where I go and uh, think about the lessons today. We had a leaders meeting earlier that I spoke to and then uh, get to speak to you this afternoon, but it's really good to be with you. Uh, we go back a fairly long way with the DeAndas, uh, know their family well, their mom and dad, but uh, uh, Reuben I've known since he was a teen, so known him a good while, and then of course Joe and Sarah Eads I've known since the beginning of their walk with God back in San Diego, and so uh, all kinds of connections that we have here that makes it special. We are family. And at this stage of my life, I'm sort of the dad guy, you know? Uh, I didn't used to be that. I remember the first time some intern on a staff wanted to call me dad. I was 42 years old. I said, hey, Jack, I'm too young to be your daddy. Uh, but I'm old enough to be a lot of people's daddy now, so I'm okay with being a father figure. And in fact, I really enjoy that part of it. But uh, appreciate all of you being here. We, we have lost one of our uh, screens here. But uh, it says up here that the world has lost its way. Well, I think we can narrow that down and say that our nation has lost its way. Would you agree with that or disagree? We have lost our way. We need help. And so uh, this lesson is a very serious lesson about that because I'm very concerned. I have a wife. We'll celebrate our 49th anniversary Thursday. I have a son who's almost 46, a daughter almost 42. I have five grandchildren, the oldest of which is now 15 years old, a teen studying the Bible himself. And uh, so uh, I've been around a while. And uh, I, I do have a lot of concerns about the things that I see. And I also am concerned if my clicker doesn't work. Now, let me talk to you about my life as a kid. That's actually not me, but that is what life seemed like when I was a kid. I was uh, born in 1942. That was kind of in the midst of the Second World War. To some of you young bucks, that sounds like, gee, this dude is ancient, isn't he? <laughs> I understand. The problem with that is one day you're going to be where I am. And you're going to have a bunch of young people thinking, that's an old dude, isn't he? Look at that old dude up there. I hope his brain keeps working the whole sermon, doesn't give out on him. I understand. But when I came into the world... It seemed to me it was a pretty nice world to be in. It was a lot of fun, and it was safe. It was really safe. We'd come in after school, have a snack, take off with our buddies, be out in the woods, be out wherever else. Our parents never worried about us. We'd come in after dark. They, they would never be all upset about that, unless they were really overly protective parents. And there weren't a lot of those that I even knew of back then, because it was safe. 
I was raised in Louisiana. I uh, grew up hunting and fishing. That was sort of my family. I remember when I was like 13 years old, I would go and catch a train. I would have my little suitcase. I would have my shotgun in a case, soft case. I'd get on the train with it. And I would go to this little town where my great aunt and uncle lived, or they lived way out in the woods, actually. But anyway, she was the head night nurse in the hospital in that little place. I'd get in there about 11 or 12 o'clock at night, and I'd walk through the town by myself, uh, not worried about anything. People didn't even lock their doors. Hardly anybody locked their doors back then. Uh, It was just amazing. You just felt so safe. We didn't have all the crazies going on. It was good. And it was fun. And I remember just so many details about all of that when I was a young guy, but it lasted into adulthood. It was just pretty good back in the day. Well, what's changed about it? Well, we got glitz now, right? Materialism we never would have dreamed of. Ways to sin that we never would have thought of back then. We had our ways, but we got a lot of new ones now. And everything has changed materially, but we're really dealing with a world that is on fire. Uh, We are dealing with some very, very serious situations taking place all over the world, taking place in our country. Since 2006, that's eight years, if you can add or subtract or whatever. In the last eight years, there have been in the United States of America 200 mass killings. Now, they don't even count all of them. Some states don't turn in the records to the FBI. But the ones that do, we've got 200. That means that at least four people were victims uh, in a mass killing. At least that many or more. And you read about it almost every day. I mean, yesterday. Was it yesterday? In the mall, the dude with the uh, the 20-gauge Mossberg shotgun, that's the first kind I ever owned. Uh, But I didn't shoot people. I shot animals and birds and whatever. But anyway... This guy goes in a mall and kills a couple of people and himself. And that's a small one. There are a lot of big ones. And it's getting worse and worse and worse with all kinds of other statistics I could give you. But you know all that, right? It's getting to be a fairly scary place. You go to a movie, you're not sure what's going to happen. I mean, you can go into a movie and you're concerned about your kids and you're texting your babysitter and some dude who was a well-known police enforcement guy, shoots him dead. It's crazy. After the mall shooting, they were interviewing people, and one of the women said, middle-aged woman, she said, our country needs a lot of help. Well, we know about all the bad stuff. The question is, why? Why is all this going on? You know, I think the answer to it is fairly simple. I think the solution is fairly simple. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. Simple and easy, two different things, right? There are a lot of things I know the answer to. The answers are simple, but doing it is not easy. But I think there are some answers around here. I think basically we have lost our way because we've lost Our map. We don't have a map. Now, I've got a map. Uh, It's out in the car. I used it to get here. MapQuest. I've got a GPS on my phone. I've got a GPS in the car. I am directionally challenged. 
I get lost a lot if I don't have some directions. One time it took me so long to find this guy in Boston, this, this, this store owner guy that I was trying to find this little shop. And I was explaining, man, I, I'm sorry that I'm late. I, I told you I'd be here a certain time. I've been driving around. I, I couldn't find a place and I, I, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm directionally challenged. He said, yeah, you got reverse polarity. I said, well, well, what is that? He said, well, birds migrate by polarity. He says, yours is reversed. Actually, that's become very helpful. As my wife and I are driving, I come up to a place, I've got to go right or left, and we don't know which way to go. My wife says, which way do you feel like turning? I say, left. She said, turn right. Most of the time, that's correct. I'm usually backwards. It's frustrating. But I've got a map. If I've got a map, I can get there. I got here. I was early. You've got to have a map. Well, in our case, here is the road map right there. What's wrong with the world is we've gotten away from that thing. We don't really believe it anymore. Even religious people in this part of the United States, we've got a lot of religious people here. We don't really believe the Bible except in certain spots. We pick and choose, take out the part that sounds nice and makes us feel good uh, so that we can continue like we are and feel like, okay, it's all going to be good. We're all going to end up in heaven. But we don't respect the Bible as the Word of God and the roadmap to heaven and take it seriously across the board. And I think in this church we're trying to be different than that, right? And so I think we're really trying to do it. But I, I think I know where it started getting off because I was there and I saw it. Back in the 1960s when I was a teenager... Uh, we had a very popular religious saying in the Bible Belt where I lived, and that was, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. I mean, that was on posters and billboards. That was the doctrine about doctrine. That doctrine doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. Well, the question is, what did they mean by that? What did the religious folks that I was raised around believe by that? Well, they meant one thing only. That it didn't matter what you believed about what they viewed as kind of church doctrine matters. That, it, those things don't count. But you know what? Their children finally figured it out. They finally said, okay... If it doesn't matter what you believe about doctrines, as long as you're sincere, then, and this is the sexual revolution entry in the 1960s, then we're going to broaden that from church doctrine stuff to morals, and we're going to say it doesn't matter what you believe in practice as long as you're sincere. And I am sincerely in a meaningful relationship with my boyfriend or girlfriend, and we're moving in together. I remember when that first started happening. Parents were shocked out of their minds. 
They were saying, wow, what is wrong? We go to church. We're religious folks. We believe in the Bible. Have we taught our children to believe in the Bible? Yeah, which part? Which part? The parts you liked. That part. And so the kids took it to its logical conclusion. And I remember the horror and dismay in parents' lives when their kids moved in together. You know, the Bible says that God created sex and He created it for people in a marriage, a man and a woman. And that is the boundary for sex right there. It's a good boundary. I've been married 49 years. I really like it. God invented it. I didn't. I like His invention. But the problem is, we went from doctrine to morality, and now we're in a mess. Now, we live in uh, a society in which people that feel like uh, others aren't tolerant of their views and practices, they cry out for tolerance. But if they gain majority tolerance, then they become the most intolerant people themselves. And so, once something is in, and I could name a lot of stuff, once it's in with the majority of society and they say, it's okay now. Once they say that, if you differ from it, First Amendment rights of freedom of speech, notwithstanding, you're going to get it crammed down your throat. And as those of us that believe there is such a thing as truth, In the Bible, we have to follow to please God. We're going to find it harder and harder. Young people, I'm telling you this. For you to stay strong with God, you're going to have to have guts. You're going to have to be willing to be different. You're going to have to be willing to take the unpopular view. You've got to have a right spirit about how you do it. No excuse for being a knothead. But we still got to take some positions. And as time goes by, it's a, it, it, it's a snowball going down a hill. It's gotten bigger and faster. I am shocked at how fast things have changed in our society from the early days. I, I was in the fifth grade when we got a TV. It, it was so different from TV now. I can hardly figure out what to watch. I mean, seriously, it's bad. There's stuff on TV that I'm thinking, how did that get in here? I remember, leave it to Beaver. I, I, I remember when it was good. That the only bad part was they had a lot of Westerns back then. They shot the, but they always shot the bad guys, you know? They didn't shoot the good guys. But guys, we live in a world now And we're going to be like Jesus before Pilate. We sang about that. But Jesus was before Pilate and he says that I testified of the truth. And Pilate's question was, what is it? Because he didn't have much of a clue. You know, now I wonder if our question is actually not what is truth, but it's almost is there truth? Is there truth? That's almost the question now. Because we've entered into an era 
of time where in cases of morals and values and a lot of things, we've entered into a realm now when it's all extremely subjective and there is no absolute. A lot of folks just don't, no absolute stuff. Back in the old days, we called it existentialism. That just meant that you were the judge. What you felt was right, that was right for you. Whatever somebody else felt, that was right for them. And we call it postmodernism now, but it's just a new name. We change names. But it's the same thing that the person, their viewpoint, their feelings about it, their opinion becomes truth. Rather than there being an absolute truth that God says this is right, it is always going to be right, and on the judgment day, you're going to find it out. So I want to share with you a lesson today about two roads and a choice that we must make. Uh, as you look at that, it's the same road, but I messed around with it a bit. And so on the left side, you've got a really wide one. On the right side, you've got a little narrow road going along there because the Bible says that's what exists in life. With God, in His view, that's what actually exists. And so I've got a few points here about truth. Okay, I think there's truth. I think there's objective truth. I think there's absolute truth in the area of religion and morals and ethics and all of those things that the Bible touches on. And so, point one, the road of truth is narrow. Jesus said, this is Jesus talking, Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, does that not say that the large majority of people will end up away from God? And only a few, by comparison are going to be on the narrow road that leads to life, and they end up with God for eternity. Now, I think it broke Jesus' heart to say that. He came to die for the sins of the world, to invite every sinner to repent. Everyone has the choice to make to get on the broad road. I mean, the narrow road. Well, a broad one, too. But if we are on the broad one, we end up in the bad place. We end up on the narrow road and stay there. We end up in the good place. But we don't believe it. You know why I know we don't believe it? I have been to so many funerals, I couldn't even begin to name how many. I have yet to hear any clergyman of whatever faith say, Well, guys, you've been wondering about this. This dude right down here in the casket, he was on the broad road and he went to hell. You ever heard that? I have never been to a funeral, except the ones I preach. Maybe a few others. I've never been to a funeral where somebody didn't get preached to heaven. Except for a few. The ones I preach, if I don't think they went to heaven based on the Bible, I'm not going to say that they did. Uh, but, you know, the funeral test. 
what do we really believe? What does the religious world and the rest of the world and the United States of America really believe? Not this. They don't believe it. Now, it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It's a very difficult thing to think about people that we know and love being lost. But this says the majority of people are going to be lost. Wow, preacher. Not sure I came to hear this kind of stuff. Well, go to the doctor. You go to the doctor. Knowing that you're going to die sometime anyway. You go and pay him whatever money he wants or she wants. You go to the doctor, right? What do you want him to do? Oh, you're fine, baby. You're fine. Oh, no. Last doctor I had in Phoenix, when I got in his office, that dude rolled out a cart with a computer on it. He had everything about me on that thing. I mean, everything. Scary deal. But I was glad he did. Because I want to know what's going on. I was in there one day, he started examining me. He moved his stethoscope around, he stopped in one place. He never stopped there before. He stopped there a long time, and I'm thinking, hmm, that ain't good. He moved, I said, oh, that's better. But then he came right back. He said, you got a heart murmur, you got a valve leak. We have to do some tests on you. You need to see a cardiologist. Here's a list. Pick out one of these guys. Uh, that, that wasn't good news. I was feeling good until I went in there. But I wanted him to tell me the truth about me physically, even though I know I'm going to at some point die. If you want to hear the truth physically, even though you've got a limited time to live on this earth, why wouldn't you want to know the truth spiritually? What's with us? They interviewed a well-known televangelist down in Houston. Our our church used to meet across the street from them some. Uh, But they interviewed him and he said, you know, the, the interviewer said, one criticism of you is you never preach on sin. He said, well, I don't think people come to church to be made to feel bad. I thought, oh, good grief. So you come to church to hear something that makes you feel good, even if things aren't good with you and God? You sorry excuse for a preacher? Really, that's serious. If I went to a doctor and he knew I had a problem that could be fixed and he didn't tell me, May he be lucky I'm still a Christian. Because I came out of a redneck family from Louisiana with murderers on both sides. I came out of some background. I'll tell you about it sometime. But uh, I want to be told the truth. Now, people say, well, Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And people say, well, okay. Maybe the Bible's true, but I don't think you can understand it. Really? 
Even though the word truth is found in the Bible, I think around 300 times, understand it's found over 200, and you're telling me we can't understand it when the Bible says if you study it, you can. Paul says, I wrote these things by inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that you can know and understand what I know and understand, Ephesians chapter 3. You know, if you can't understand the Bible, now, are there some hard parts in there? Some, not that many. It's the plain stuff that worries me. It's all the part that has the challenge for me to deny my own selfish self and do what God wants because in the end it's going to be better if I do it. But if you can't understand the Bible, then it's got to be for one of two reasons. Number one, God did not want you to understand or God did not have the power to make it understandable. That's the only choices. You know, I think we can understand it. That's the problem. We just don't know it. At one time, I didn't know it. My mom dragged me to church every Sunday. But I, I, I daydreamed. I, I, I perfected the art of daydreaming. <laughs> and looking at my watch, is this ever going to end? Some of you are thinking that now. But uh, I didn't know any Bible. When I got into the Bible and started reading passages like this, given the life I was living, it was scary. And I had to make a choice. Am I going to get serious about studying the Bible and doing what God wants? Or I'm just going to keep on doing what I want, even though I know it doesn't please God. The way of the truth is narrow. It's not easy in the short run. But in the long run, it is a really, really good thing. Uh, In the short term, it's a lot like our credit system, Satan's way. Pay now, I mean... Do what you want now, buy what you want now, pay later. Except the interest in this case is terrible. But God's way is, do right, and long term, you're going to be really happy about that. Really happy. Not just in heaven, but now. To live a life with a freed conscience with the understanding you have a relationship with the God of the universe, that He just waits for you to talk with Him. That's how much He longs to have a relationship with you. Sent His Son to die on a cross just so He can have a relationship with you. Loves you so much that He says, you can call me Abba, Father, Daddy. That's the kind of relationship He wants to have with us. Next point. The road of truth is recognizable. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. So, when you really look at what's being produced, you'll know whether truth is working or not. What's the divorce rate in California? Well over 50%. I've heard 70, I've heard some ridiculous figures, and that's not even counting the people that live together and don't get married. How well is all this working out? People walking in the mall shooting everybody and themselves. 
because they don't know why they're here. They have no idea why they're here. They have no hope. They have no reason. They can't answer the big questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Those are the three big questions of life. You don't get those answered. I mean, why not jump off the bridge? Really? If you've got no reason to live and you don't understand what's going on, I can understand why this stuff happens. You tell people they're glorified animals for long enough and they're going to start acting like it. Is it wrong for a cat to kill a mouse? No, it's not wrong. It's nature. They're just animals. But human beings are made in the image of God. It is wrong when we do it. But it's wrong because there's a Creator who gave us a map called the Bible to follow. And that's why it's so important that we follow it. But you can watch what happens. We're in an age now, uh, in a lot of churches, you know, the feel-good stuff. Don't focus on anything negative. You'll never hear Matthew 7 preached in most churches. Never hear it. Maybe you like the address of one of those. Uh, but at any rate, we, 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 had, we went through this phase of prosperity theology. Just follow God, you're going to get rich. God wants everybody to be rich. Well, what happened to Jesus? Goodness gracious. He never sinned and he never had a place to lay his head, it says. I mean, if you really look at the Bible in context, the whole prosperity theology was crazy. Now, what we have is what I call happiness theology. God wants me to be happy. One study uh, said that the divorce rate among evangelical people, Christian-oriented people, was higher in America than any divorce rate in any other group, including atheists. Why? Happiness theology. God wants me to be happy. And she doesn't make me happy, so I need to get rid of her and find one that will make me happy. That is the theology. We are convinced that God is in heaven to make us happy. And if we are not happy, God is messing up somehow, and so we better figure out how to fix it. Is that not what we have? Look at what it's doing to us. I mean, if I'm just up here talking about stuff that you know is not real, you're going to say, that guy is a nut. But you know what I'm saying is real. We cannot get around the results of people who have lost their map, who have gotten away from the Bible, who don't have a clue of what the Bible really, really teaches. The broad view of all of it. Not just a piece of it. It's recognizable. You can watch it. You can see it. Third, or whatever it is, I think it's three, the, word of, the road of truth is unsubstitutable. Now, that's not a word in the dictionary. That's a Gordon word. Uh, but I like it. That means nothing can be substituted. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, sound like judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? 
then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. So claiming to be a Christian doesn't make you one. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord. You cannot substitute for what God said. You cannot substitute good deeds. A lot of people still think that one. Well, I, I'm, I'm a good person. I've studied the Bible with many people. Well, I, I think I'm okay on the day of judgment. I'm a good person. Really? When you look at all the ways there are to sin, uh, I don't think there are many good persons around. But we, we, like, we love this balance scale. I put my good deeds on one side. I had someone tell me this not long ago in a study. Put my good deeds on one side, my bad deeds on the other side. My good deeds outweigh my bad side. Uh, bad side, I'm fine on the day of judgment. Common thought. That's like me driving down the street. I got a driver's license at age 15. Birthday was on Saturday. Went to the driver's license place. They closed. I was so disappointed. I barely made it to Monday morning. I skipped half a day of school. I got my driver's license. Uh, but in all of my years of driving since I was 15 years old, I must have stopped at hundreds of many hundreds of thousands of red lights and even a few green lights. And so I go out here and I, I go out here and I run a red light. And a cop pulls me over. Hey, sir, you uh, ran the red light. Well, maybe so. But have you any idea how many red lights I've stopped at and even a few green lights just for good measure? He doesn't care. I ran a stoplight. He's going to give me a ticket. Right? You see all the good things that I did. All the laws I obey. When I break it, I'm still guilty. That good deeds, bad deeds, there's no one good. The only one good is Jesus, and He died for my sins. And when I become a Christian and do like Miss Brown did, is that the last name, Brown? Did I get that? Ford, Ford. I knew a short name, Ford. <laughs> and, I, and I knew the parents back in San Diego in the day when they were college kids, anyway. Uh, but, like Miss Ford, she got baptized into Christ, and then all the sins are gone, and then we walk and live in a relationship with Him on the narrow road, and our sins are never even marked down as long as we stay with Him on that narrow road. That's an amazing thing. My favorite book in the Bible is Romans. Sometimes I'll teach that. It's all grace, all good. Uh, but at any rate, uh, we're not going to make it. We, we can't substitute good deeds, but we can't substitute religion. Being religious. He says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Where, where do you know that will? In the Bible. That's why we study the Bible as much as we do, because we know that that is God's judgment. Being religious isn't enough. But in our society, it is. If you ever said Jesus, you're okay. I mean, seriously, it's almost that bad. I remember going to my great aunt's funeral. We say aunt down in Louisiana. What do you say here? Aunt, aunt? Aunt? Depends. Okay. Well, anyway, you know, the old gal died. I went to the funeral. This preacher preached. And he said, isn't it wonderful? He said, this person that died, she went to this church. 
said, I, I preach at another kind of church, and isn't it wonderful we have all these different kinds of churches so we can find one we like? Even back as a kid, I thought, hey, there's something wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, where's God in the middle of that? Is that what God said? Everybody go out and decide what you think is right and what you want to do or whatever. Now, people say, well, now, wait, wait a minute, Gordon. Our church leader said some years ago, a decade, that we've been too judgmental in the past. The leader said that in the Los Angeles church. Is that right? Yeah. But what did we mean? What I meant was, on the judgment day, God's a judge, not me. That's what I meant. Uh, but I didn't mean throughout the Bible and everything's okay now. I'm still going to preach the Bible. I'm still going to preach Matthew 7 till I die. Probably won't be that long. 71, good grief. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I just got, I've got to go by what the Bible said, not by what men have said. Men have said all kinds of stuff. But the Bible, honestly, is not that hard to understand. You know what? I've always been kind of this way about being called judgmental. I've had people say, you know, you're kind of narrow-minded, Ferguson. You, you, you're, ju you're judgmental. I said, really? Now, let's look at it this way. Jesus said, there's a narrow road. He did say that, right? We read that in the Bible. Red letter words in a lot of versions. Jesus said it. Along comes theologian one, and he says, well, yeah, yeah. But I think this is okay, too. So he widens the road a little. Theologian B comes along. He says, well, I agree with theologian A. In fact, I think he'll accept this, and he widens it a little more. Now, let me ask you. Who's being judgmental around here? All I'm trying to do is preach the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less. What does the thing say? I'm going to try to do it and try to get everybody else I know to do it. Theologians come along. They start moving it along. I think they're making the judgment. They're saying God's going to accept what God did not say he was going to accept. That's the judgmental stuff. Uh, I got the Bible. I'm going to preach it on the day of judgment. God's a judge. I'll be relieved of that responsibility. I don't have it now, except for me. I got to judge me. But I have to preach the Bible, but I can't substitute religion. Sometimes people say, well, Gordon, wait a minute. Okay. Starting to talk about these other churches and all that stuff. Uh, but you know, you got people in other churches that may be more sincere than some of the ones in ours that really aren't living the life. What does that prove? Two wrongs make a right these days? It's important that we follow doctrine, and it's important that we live the life. Isn't that what 1 Timothy 4 said? Watch your life and doctrine closely, and persevere in them, and you'll save yourself and your hearers. That's what the Bible said. Okay? So we can't substitute. It's unsubstitutable. It's durable. I think it's the last point. You'll be happy. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the storm, the streams arose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The one thing about truth is it's durable. You can stand the storms of life. You can stand the test of troubles. You're going to have some. Being a Christian does not relieve you from having troubles. In some ways, it adds. Because you've got to take a stand. You've got to deny self. You've got to give up everything you are to be a disciple of Jesus and let Him be the Lord of your life. Now, all that sounds real hard. All that means is, why don't you let the one fly the plane who knows how to fly it? The one who built the plane, he knows how to fly it. His name is God. Why don't you let him sit in the seat with a wheel? Wouldn't that be better? You don't have a pilot's license. You don't know squat about flying a plane. You think you do. We all think we do. We think we know what's best, right? I did when I was young. When I was a teen, like some of you, I thought, yeah, I don't believe that stuff. I hear all that stuff at church. No, no, no. God's just trying to rob us of fun. I'm going to have me some fun. And I did. And I would give everything I have to run that clock back. Not that I'm not saved and going to heaven. But just to think of some of what I did to my life and to other people's lives. Oh, me, I'd love to be able to have another shot at that. Not for salvation. Just to help people. But you know, it's kind of like shooting a gun. If I shoot at something right there, boy, I got loud now. Uh, if I shoot at something right there and I'm off that far at 100 yards, I'm off my feet. The problem is you don't know you're off when you're that close. Young people don't know because they hadn't seen the bullet go all the way out to the end of their life or to their later years. One time I got all my first cousins. I pray for them. I have 22. Uh, my wife and I have 22 together. Uh, first cousins. So I, I pray for them. By name, did this morning. But I, I once went through and looked at their marriage records. Wow. First cousins, my contemporaries that I was raised with. One of them is on husband number six. Another one, I think, is on number five, or maybe she's betwixt and between now. But I looked at some of the stuff that's happened in my family, and I thought, you know, what's the difference? I got the same gene pool. I had the same atmosphere, really, in which I was raised. What's the difference? Somewhere along the way, I found God, and I said, the battle's over. I'm going to trust that your way is right and that one day when I'm older, I'll look back and say, I made the right choice. And that's what I say. But I got a lot of relatives that didn't make the right choice. There's hardly any calamity that can be had that is not somewhere in my family. What's the difference? I'm not smarter. Obviously not better looking. Uh, but I made a choice that God's way was right and it was durable, and if I live it, it's going to end up great. My wife's flying home. 
to be home tonight late. I'll be so excited to see her. I'm so much in love with her. Forty-nine years. But we made a decision when we got married that we're not going to divorce. That was about the only decision that I was willing to make. My parents stayed together and had a bad marriage. Her parents divorced at 25 years. We said, we're not going to get divorced. No D word. Never bring it up. We never have brought it up. Never entered into one conversation. Now, there were other things wrong. But my wife kept on wanting to go to church. And finally, in my mid-twenties, I decided I'm going to do it. In fact, this preacher, he kept saying, God is able. He can make you, help you do anything. He can change you. He can do all this stuff. I got so tired of hearing that. <laughs> because I just thought, he preached on heaven, I'm miserable because I'm not going. He preaches on hell, I'm miserable because I am going. I mean, it, it was hard to get me to church. My wife was pretty persuasive. She wasn't quite as good as mom, but she was pretty good. But I reached a point, I got this deacon named Robbie. I still remember the conversation in the hall exactly where it was. I said, Robbie, I've heard all this stuff from this dude, that if you do it God's way, it's going to work and life is going to be good and all that stuff. I said, I'm tired of hearing that. I'm going I'm to give it a go for one year. I'm going to do everything I can do spiritually for one year. And if it doesn't work, I am out up here and gone fishing for good. And Robbie said, sounds like a deal to me. Because he knew what would happen if I tried it God's way and dealt with old selfish Gordon and tried to do what God designed me to do. Robbie knew it would work. Well, when was that year up? It's been a long year. But such a blessing. Such a blessing. I love the life I live. I love what I'm doing right now. You can tell that because I won't shut up, right? <laughs> but I love the Bible. I, I'm, I'm a, I got four songs for my funeral. One of them is called Ancient Words. And it's a beautiful song about the Bible and what it has done. What those ancient words have done in, in life. And I said, that's me. I love the Bible. I love what the thing has done in my life. I love what it's done in my marriage. I love what it is doing in my family. Not that everybody's got it together. But my oldest grandson's 15. He's studying the Bible. My oldest granddaughter's 13. She's turned spiritual on us. That's really good. She had a shirt on with some scripture or something on it recently, a t-shirt. I said, you wear that to school? Oh, yeah, I got several. I thought, wow, you got guts, girl. <laughs> but I just know, just trust me. One thing about being old, there are a few benefits. Grandkids, but the other is perspective. I've watched it. I've watched people just all, like all you young guys. I've watched people make choices for the broad road and the narrow road. 
and I've watched it with time. Don't talk to me two years or five years or even ten years. Let's talk about 25 years. What's it going to be like 25 years from now? That's a whole deal. Uh, and really, it's not about even 25 years. What about 10,000 years from now? That was in the song, right? 10,000 years? What about 10,000 years from now? What's life going to be like for you 20,000 years from now? Oh, well, gee, I'll be dead. That's the point. <laughs> it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. Hebrews 9, 27, I think. So, it's all about getting serious about the Bible. The bottom line, after Jesus gave this lesson, it said, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed. Uh, crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as one uh, of their teachers of the law. See, he didn't teach like religious guys did. He laid it out. And the people were in shock. They said, good grief. This guy is just laying it out. But he said in John 12, If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I don't judge that person. I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. He says, on the other hand, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. Who will be judged by the Bible, right? Is that what that says? You found any of these scriptures hard to understand? The Bible's not hard to understand. It's a challenge to live. But the blessings far outweigh the challenges. As I was walking in the park and praying today, I said, God, I've lived a blessed life. I grew up having fun. I, I grew up doing all kinds of stuff. And then for the last 40 years or something, I've been preaching. I've traveled all over the world. I've gotten to teach the Bible to all kinds of people. I've been translated into all kinds of languages. And it's all been good. Even the part that seemed bad at the time has molded my character. Thank you. I'm thankful for the hard times. People without God, hard times are the very thing that they so hate. I hate them when they come, to tell you the truth. But I look back on them and I think, gee, God, that was a tough time, wasn't it? But we got through it. And it made me strong. It made me different. I see now why you did it. I needed to change some stuff. And you made me change it. Thank you. You see, the great physician, he knows what we need. And what we need is God. And what we need is the Bible teaching us about God. Okay? You survived. You get you a t-shirt saying, I survived a Gordon Ferguson Matthew 7 sermon. I... I I'll even sign it for you. But I love God. I love what He's done in my life. I'm amazed at His patience with me. But there was a time when my wife was dragging me to church and I was miserable no matter what He preached because I wasn't lined up with His Word, and I didn't want to be. And I didn't think I could ever be. Given my family background, I thought, no way could I ever change. 
I remember where I was on a Sunday morning. Where I was in that auditorium. Slightly fewer people than here, but about the same. I remember where I was sitting in that auditorium and like a bolt out of the blue, a thought hit me. Maybe I can go to heaven. Maybe God can change me. Maybe I don't have to be lost. I remember that like it was yesterday. First thought I had ever that I might go to heaven. Guys, life with God is where it is. And I hope that the lesson has helped sober us up about that. I don't preach all lessons like that. I don't have too many like that. I got a lot of other kinds of lessons. I love to preach about God's grace and all that. But guys, we are in a serious, serious time in history. We are in a time when the so-called Christian view of things is basically getting plowed under in the United States. And unless somehow there's a real miracle, we've got to be a part of that helping people know the Bible, right? Unless there's some kind of a miracle, it's going to get a lot rougher. It's going to be tough for my grandkids. They're going to have to be all in if they're going to make it with God. Because it's going downhill and it's going downhill fast. And so all I do is beg people, please follow the Bible. Please study the Bible. Please get with if you're If you're a guest with us, whoever brought you here, thanks for coming. But get with who brought you. Get the Bible open and figure it out. Are you really where God wants you to be? Saw Naomi DeAndy yesterday. He's getting with a guy. He's got stage four uh, cancer. And uh, he's getting with him. He said, well, I don't know how long he's going to live. What do I say? And I say, I told him, I said, Naomi, here's what I say. When I get with somebody and I don't know how long they're going to live, I tell them, listen. I don't know how long you're going to live, and you don't either. None of us really knows. I could die of an aneurysm tonight. But I said, getting right with God is the most important thing in the world. Not sure what your background is, not sure what you believe, not sure what you've done. But I'd like to go through some things in the Bible to help you figure out, are you right with God or are you not? If you are, praise Jesus. If you're not, we can get right. And that's what we say to everyone. For those of us that have done what we know is right biblically to be saved, how are we doing living this thing? The road's still narrow for all of us. Just because you got baptized the right way, that doesn't make the road wide, you know? So I think we need to examine our hearts and our lives because we are going to meet God. That's one other benefit of age. I can't say, well, you know, I'll get it straight sometime. I'm going to sow my wild oats while I'm young. I can't do that anymore. I ain't young. But I can make sure that I stay on that straight and narrow, okay? So, God bless you. You've been a great audience. You've stayed awake. Only two people want to sleep, and I'll call their names, and they can stand. Uh, I love you. God bless.